Hello and welcome to The Dirt, a podcast about archaeology, anthropology, and our shared human past. I'm Anna, and I should have said, hell hole, and welcome to The Dirt. And I'm Amber, and after an unexpected and unwelcome hiccup, Spooktober has resumed. That's right, everyone. <laughs> I'm here on the line with the latest victim of bipedalism. Uh, <laughs> I maintain that it was not a good evolutionary move. <laughs> yeah, I, I messed up my knee pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. In, not just like I scraped it or something. It, no. no <laughs> I uh, injured my, one of my little tendies. And yeah. uh, in a way that uh, affects my mobility in a way that I've not yet adjusted to completely. Mm. So mm-hmm. so mm. it's been a little bit uh, a slow, <laughs> slow yeah. time here. And I am also here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <The> two functioning <laughs> knees. We're, yeah, I mean, they're doing okay. Mm, they're doing that's okay. That's great. Yeah. Um, well, let's get right into it. Because everyone's been waiting long enough. Let's get in that hole. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I've been there. That's that's where I've been. Uh, but no, we're going to talk about different holes today. Uh, this week's episode is thanks to some irresponsible headlines in news coverage of our last installment in which we pondered the obe. And thank you, listeners, for validating me. So several stories in popular news outlets describe Teomim Cave as a portal to the underworld. But as we learned over the course of that episode, uh, that's really only true in the same way that my phone is a portal to my mom's living room. Um, However, that misdirection got my gears a turning. And so over the next hour-ish, we're going to discuss several portals to the underworld. Um, We've occasionally talked about deep time, and we'll have a little bit of that today. But today, mostly, we're just talking about deep. Um, But, Anna, uh, don't strap that headlamp on just yet. First, I have a question for you. Do you hear about that time they found a well to hail? Uh, No, I have not. Oh, you haven't? Okay. So, uh, this is a story that I heard, like, Again, in a form, um, I, like on the playground or in the lunchroom or yep. like during like cookies and juice during like the break between Sunday school and more Sunday school. Oh, such bad juice. Um, I can yeah, taste that huggies. time. <laughs> like the like hugs, <laughs> the little hugs. Uh, I think um, we had and high C. Nice. Mm. Wow. Uh, it's, and it's the sort of story that makes you go, nah, and the kid telling you a story replies, yeah, huh? Um, is that a normal? Was that something that you had at your school? Where was you I a contrary classical child? Languages? In, no, though, where they say no, yeah, huh? Oh, yeah, but is in Latin, wero, wero, non wero, non wero, wero. Back in the eighties, somewhere in Siberia, a group of Soviet scientists were drilling a well when they broke through something, like through to something. Um, so it was the deepest well ever dug. So, and it, they did it in like the name of science. Um, and in that same scientific spirit, they brought in a recording device and they lowered it down into the well. When they pulled it back up from the depths and played back what it had recorded, uh, what the microphone caught horrified them. Number six will leave you speechless. <laughs> um, <laughs> the device faded. had... The device had captured moans and screams unlike anything they'd ever heard, um, and they seemed to come from people being tortured. And so even though these people were scientists and Soviet, the two most atheist (laughs) things you could possibly be in the 80s, uh, they knew that they had found biblical hell and had glimpsed what torture it holds for the unsaved. So they sealed up the well in horror, converted to Christianity, and began to spread the word of God. My papa would be so proud of me right now, witnessing to a Jew. <laughs> and so, on one of his favorite topics. Um, um, so, this wasn't just a story told by kids back home. It was legitimately famous. Uh, and there's, like, more to its, like, sort of creation and dissemination. Sure. Um, but... You know, they recorded something. It wasn't just an urban legend. They had the proof of it in this audio recording. So I'm going to play it for everyone, including Anna. I haven't heard it before. 
courtesy of an old episode of Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. So I'm going to play the full clip um, and um, you'll get a little bit of background um, from the clip. Mm. So Mm -hmm. here goes. Mm -hmm. Submit now the cleaned uh, a better copy to you, and uh, I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Okay, and that goes on for like another forty-five seconds, and then on the YouTube video, there's a a screen that comes up that says. Be warned, there is a hell. <laughs> it's, it's very, it's very intense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, what did you, what did you think about that? I mean, it was very cacophonous and very unpleasant to listen to. Um, do you feel? Do, do you feel different in your heart? No. Art Bell, great voice. Um, also love the use of a content warning there. Um, but yeah, for the younger I mean. or less, yeah, respect. Uh, for the younger or less weird folks in our audience, Coast to Coast AM uh, was a late night radio show that is still running. Um, but it was originally hosted by credulous king Art Bell, yeah. who interviewed people all along the spectrum of skepticism and spookiness and served as a phenomenological midwife wow. for many paranormal ideas that still get kicked around That's today. <laughs> that was, uh, that, uh, that, I just I just want to pause to compliment you on that <laughs> thank you. on that phrasing. But also like just to flag something, just like get your grains of salt ready. My uncle told me, here's an anecdote. Yeah, yeah. And the the but another thing about Art Bell that made him really great at what he did was he had a policy, like he sort of had kind of a guiding principle of not making anybody feel weird. Uh, like, like, and so he, you never really know where he falls on any of these things. Like he may think that like 80% of the people who come across his, his studio, like are like total loons, but he's not going to be rude to them or be dismissive. And like, he's there to like hear them, hear them out, give them a platform sometimes to like horrible ends. And then other times, like he also had like, um, real scientists. Uh, your, your guy, uh, Carl Zimmer was on there once. He's not my guy, Um, but, but, you know, but he was there to talk about weird creatures that are real kind of thing. So it was, you know, it's like all kinds of stuff. So, um, to get a sense of the scale of who all has been on the show, I've included a wiki inventorying appearances on coast to coast AM. So not all winners to say the least. (laughs) Also, it was, um, very humbling to scroll through the list and recognize so many names um, and people like all along the continuum of like um, like UFO types to like some pretty unsavory like far right types because um, of those those everybody's kind of splashing in the same pool at a certain point. Um, and and so I've seen the sounds that we just heard identified as coming from an old horror movie. Um, and not from a hot mic dropped among the personal eschaton of the myriad damned. And so Anna said that people don't know what eschaton means. No, what Anna um, said was people aren't going to know what eschaton means because I don't. And I need you to define it for me. <laughs> well, I'm defining for Anna because I know everyone else knows what it means. Yeah. Uh, but the eschaton is the in like theology is the final step of the divine plan. So eschatology is the study of like the end times and the end of the world. So it's sort of, an, so it's like the, like the, the final act of like the denouement of existence kind of thing. So the okay. personal eschaton is like what happens to your eternal soul. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So uh, that's the nuh-uh. Let me hit you with the yeah-huh of this story. Scientists did dig a hole so deep it reached hell's heat. Someone did lower a microphone into a well to hell, and it did record scary sounds. So this particular urban legend has two t- kernels of truth, not one. I'm being serious now. Uh, first, I believe you. I'm just, I was told not to peek, so I'm just listening. Okay. Well, you can scroll down slowly. Mm-hmm. First, the titular well. Soviet scientists did dig a hole deeper than any other hole that had ever been dug in the 80s. Um, so strap in for the most boring story of all time. I see what you did there. 
Yeah. So I'm talking about the unambiguously named Kola Super Deep Borehole, um, located in the Kola <laughs> Peninsula of Russia, near the border with Norway. Also, Russia shares a border with Norway. I did know that. I didn't Shockingly. know that. It kind of like it kind of like um, just kind of bumps up, scoops around yeah. uh, Finland a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and and like in a sort of feature that I look at that and I think that seems contentious. <laughs> Could Just be. like how that happened. Yeah. But this is in the Arctic Circle. So this the this project was part of a decades-long furthest from space race uh, that sought to penetrate <laughs> the Earth's mantle. So the <laughs> inner space I didn't, race. I didn't know how to how else to phrase it. So um, they were trying to get to the Earth's mantle. Uh, the thick layer of very hot but mostly solid rock that separates the crust we're on from the molten core. Or hell, I guess. I mean. Uh, but I've seen it described as kind of like glass, kind of like caramel, where it's it looks solid, but over enough time, it's liquid. The Cola Super Deep Borehole Project yielded important advancements in drilling technology that have become the norm in petroleum and research purposes, namely uh, vertical drills, like having like a like a effective vertical drill uh, that will limit strain on the equipment. Cause if you have to go at it at an angle, it puts torque on it and mm-hmm. then it can you know, snap off and stuff. You don't want so that. You can go, but yeah, but most significantly it dug a hole deeper than the Mariana trench deep and deeper than Mount Everest is tall. So uh, when they quit digging it, they had reached 12.3 kilometers, which is 7.6 miles down. And here it is, Anna. Well, that's underwhelming. I know. So fortunately, <laughs> it's only 23 centimeters or nine inches in diameter, so you can't fall down it. But it's also been welded shut since the project was abandoned in 1992. <laughs> you, don't want, you don't want hell getting out. They learned a lot, even though they didn't get to the mantle. Um, so I'm surprised they the got that why, far with such a The reason drill. why the project was abandoned was because the drill stopped working due to extreme temperatures. At that depth, it was they, they thought it would be around boiling, around the boiling point, so 100 degrees Celsius. Um, but it was uh, nearly twice that temperature. It hit 180 degrees Celsius, which is 356 degrees Fahrenheit. Ooh. You might be wondering if that means they made it to the mantle or that much closer to the mantle. And that's why it was so hot. I did Uh, short answer. No. (laughs) Um, Okay. The core. So the, and this is where I really like, it started blowing my mind. Um, Okay. So the core, the earth's core. So the molten iron bit that, you know, gives us magnets, magnets. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I mean, Um, it, yes, that is. Yes. Um, So, that core is found about 2,900 kilometers or um, 1,802 miles below Earth's surface, depending on where you're standing. Some parts are, if you were standing on the bottom of the ocean, it would be closer because the Earth's crust is thinner in the ocean. So, like, we have, we, we as humans have dug deeper. I think it's been, I think the Kola Super Deep Borehole has been, that record's been beaten by a few feet in a few different places, wow. a couple places, okay. but uh, we've gone a bit further uh, with uh, drilling that's taken place on the ocean floor for research purposes, um, just because there's less crust. I was going to say, doesn't that um, isn't that cheating because you're starting further down? Uh, people have argued that it's cheating. Um, <laughs> I don't actually think it's cheating because uh, it's not a contest. The the U.S. attempted it with Project Mohole. Um, Come on. <laughs> and they abandon it because or something I don't know. Um, so about eighteen hundred miles down, and it has a radius of about uh, two thousand one hundred sixty-five miles. So it's it's big. It's hard to the miss, core does. I guess if you were yeah, if that's the core. Okay. Yeah. So at twelve point three kilometers down, the Cola Super Deep Borehole didn't even make it halfway to the mantle. But after um, because it starts around 40 kilometers, depending on where you are. Um, But after about four and a half kilometers, the rock started acting more like plastic and messing up 
that than rocks and messing up the equipment. <laughs> but how did it get? How how had it become hot enough to cook a casserole down there? Um, the, the answer is a little something called adiabatic warming. Even though it sounds like it might become 2024's hottest coastal destination for upmarket vacations, adiabatic is actually something very, very frightening. Physics. Ah! (laughs) Yeah, right? Uh, So you might be familiar with adiabatic processes already. If you're on a long-haul flight, say from Doha to Philadelphia, (laughs) uh, you'll see that the external external air temperature is way below zero. That's because the air pressure is lower. The air pressure around you or anything else is lower the higher one rises into our atmosphere. Um, So when the pressure applied on what's called a parcel of gas, so any unit of a gas, um, so when you reduce that pressure, so you think you're pushing it down and you reduce the pressure, it allows the gas to expand because it wants to fill the space that it's in. And so as the volume increases, the temperature falls as its internal energy decreases. So the inverse is also true in diesel engines, um, or or really like any internal combustion engine, uh, where the compression stroke of the piston applies enough pressure to increase the temperature to the point of ignition, which allows the internal combustion engine to internally combust. Does that make sense? Mm, Yeah. So the, so the idea that like the further you go up, the less pressure, the less air pressure there is. So it's colder. The further you go down, the more pressure, the more pressure there is there. Therefore, the hotter it is. That makes sense. Okay, great. So this is also known to happen in super deep mines in Southern Africa and like other places, um, like other places where there are super deep mines. And this is really like two miles down like um but it is it it is hotter because of the like increased pressure so we found our well and we found the hell what about the sounds for that we have to call up Lada Givan, a Dutch artist who partnered with with some folks digging a 30,000 foot so that's nine kilometers five miles deep hole in Vindeschenbach Germany to see what it had to say for itself. (laughs) Despite being told by the geologist that it was going to be dead silent down there, she recorded some sounds and I'm going to play them for you now. So this comes from her project, The Sound of the Earth. Makes my brain feel weird. Makes the back of my brain feel weird. This is like the opposite of ASMR. So that's going to be the recessional at my wedding. Um, Everyone will just sit silently and we'll turn off the lights when I walk out. Um, (laughs) um, So that's a, that, that was part of an installation in which she played the sounds, um, and um, so Givon said that the recording made her, quote, feel very small. It was the first time in my life this big ball we live on came to life, and it sounds haunting. Some people thought it did sound like hell. Others thought they could hear the planet breathe, end quote. I have two thoughts with one of them. Ah, and the other, nope. <laughs> well, the nope. You did just start shaking your head. like nope. I know. <laughs> like as and- soon as it started. I know. Um, part of it was the difference between the l- low rumbles and then the pops and crackles, which I think the the pops and crackles part, I think that's just from the recording, right? I don't know. Th- I don't know. Uh, yeah. that. This was about 10 years ago. So it could have been pretty high quality recording. Equipment. Yeah. Okay. Well, that that's the part that unsettled me. The longer I listened to it and I was able to kind of pull those two things apart the the low rumbles that was soothing like i could fall asleep to that but and then um the other thing was i don't know the earth's not static is yeah and i think she kind of gets at that in that quote of just like by getting all the way down there she you were sort of forced to confront 
that it is alive in a sense, like as a system. Yeah, and that and, the geologists yeah. were like, "You're not going to hear anything," even though it is very funny that the geologists should, said like, that. Yeah, and even though they should be aware that, like, when there's an earthquake, you hear it. That that yeah. that it's and and so for me, it sounds like if you were to be suspended in a fraction of a second within a, a earthquake. Either that or like you've got a stethoscope and you've you've pressed it against the earth's tummy and it's just rumbling well, in there. You know. Um I've never I've never I been was, in an earthquake. Okay, okay. That's why you immediately <laughs> sort of like I don't know. It. Uh but it but that's what it is like. It's like it's because mm-hmm. uh so to describe to you um, who presumably slept through earthquakes that happened while you were there. Because uh, they surely happened while you, they may have been really minor. Uh, but when you experience an earthquake, in most cases, it is so short. It's only maybe a second. If it's five seconds, it feels it eternal. Because it is, and maybe people who grew up and there was environments for whom it's quite normalized, but over about a decade, I never got used to it because it's just something that feels so contradictory to your experience as like, like someone who walks on solid like you, ground. Yeah. You talk about being grounded. You talk about having both feet yeah. on the ground. Like that's something that like I always understood to be the most solid something could be. And then when it like <laughs> turns out jerks underneath you um it is unsettling a mild (laughs) betrayal yeah hey but 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 we have deviated too far away from our starting point of portals to the underworld founding caves um in the spirit of no stupid questions i googled cave to the center of the earth and after sifting through a lot of recommendations about how to connect with my man when he's retreated to his cave, <laughs> I learned about the deepest known cave on the planet. Hmm. Enter the Krubera Veronia Cave in Abkhazia. Don't enter it, actually. But look at that link, Anna. Okay. Apart yeah, from you- the fact that someone did this in Microsoft Paint. Wow, it just keeps going, huh? It just keeps going, right? All um, of Soviet speleologists. <laughs> Well, it's named in their honor. It's not where they keep them. That makes it sound like they're animatronics. Um, So um, a Ukrainian expedition called the Call of the Abyss Project. That's not a name designed to get people to sign up. (laughs) Or maybe it is. Um, According to a National Geographic article that I'll I'll include in the show notes, um, um, after, quote, more pits and passages that brought the explorers to a sandy chamber at 2,080 meters, 6,824 feet, the new bottom of the world. They named this spot Game Over. Wow. But the caving game is far from over. It won't be. Not as long as deeper abysses call out to be explored, end quote. So there is another cave in, nearby to there in the Arabica Massif that has been explored via drone and determined to be even deeper than the Krubera Veronia. I would, so, I would argue that both of these caves are none of my abyssness. Absolutely none of my business. Abyssness. Even at the deepest depth a person has ever been inside the earth, not the ocean, um, two kilometers, that's barely a sixth of the depth of the Kola super deep borehole and only 7% of the weight of the mantle. We are not getting there. But we are getting in caves, reasonable caves. And some of those caves, we've been in them for a long, long time. What's a reasonable cave? Just like I'm going to describe one one that goes to the center to the (laughs) yeah, yeah, like one that uh, yeah. So in the balmy forests of southeastern Kenya, near the Indian Ocean coast, there's a cave called Panga Yasaidi, where archaeologists have established a 78 thousand year long sequence of occupation that ended only recently the sequence spans the middle stone age the later stone age and into more recent human history and includes several periods of traditionally considered to be watershed moments in human technological and social development panga yasaidi provided an unprecedented opportunity to see these explosions of innovations and technical revolutions and delivered a much more nuanced picture of change. Imagine. Uh, Anna, you want to read this quote from Nature? Mm -hmm. Quote, 
The Panga Yasairi sequence does not document a radical change in technological or cultural behavior in East Africa around 60 to 50,000 years ago that might be suggestive of cognitive or technological revolutions or migrations. Mm. Instead, Panga Yasairi documents a long-term assembly and intermittent presence of various innovative traits. In particular, there is no dramatic appearance of a lower Stone Age technological package, and instead, older Middle Stone Age technological traits, such as Levelois cores, exist alongside the development of backed artifacts and blade production. The principal change in the sequence is the reduction in lithic size and the shift to crypto-crystalline materials around 67,000 years ago. So is later and lower the same thing? Uh, what? No. Because late, you said lower and it's later. Later Stone Age and older Middle Stone Age. I'm sorry. I, I conflated. So that's the problem with the difference between uh, European and African Paleolithic terminology. It's lower versus middle Paleolithic. And then... And this is... Later Stone Age. Middle so I and that, then yeah. later Stone Age. Yeah, I'm sorry. So, uh, okay, so yeah. later later Stone Age is lower Paleolithic? No, I just got my L's mixed up. Okay. I just said the wrong L word. No, so later oh, Stone Age in we've Africa... The, we've all said the wrong L word. <laughs> Later Stone Age in Africa is after what would be the uh, like the Mysterian, the Middle Paleolithic in Europe. The terms don't. It's yeah, that's why I goofed it up. Anyway, so what what this quote is saying is that it's not that a new technological complex kind of bursts onto the scene and someone was like, oh, innovative. It was just that it slowly developed. Yeah, like they didn't throw existing. all their, their like um, level law cores out. No, like, it's just like I gotta took get them those all new nano tools. Goodville. Never mind. My joke will apply here in a second. If seventy-eight thousand years boggles your mind, I hate to break it to you, but there is another cave that's been interpreted as, as exhibiting continuous occupation for more than twenty times as long. This is in Wunderwerk Cave in South Africa, where archaeologists have dated sediments back to 1.8 million years using two techniques, paleomagnetism and burial dating. And Anna's going to tell us what those are. (laughs) Make a withdrawal from the word bank. Paleomagnetism is a use of the phenomenon where occasionally uh, the Earth's magnetic fields undergo a shift. Uh, and sometimes a complete flip. Do you like count back how many times it's flipped? Is that is it so, like tree rings in that sense? It's kind of like that. Yeah. So so um, very occasionally, this is this is extremely. It, it's punctuated over the course of Earth's history infrequently. Um, the last time that it happened on Earth was around forty two thousand years ago. But you can look at the alignment of magnetizable particles in sediment cores and you can see shifts because when magnetic fields shift um, particles that align to magnetic fields shift accordingly and those in deeper sediments have already essentially been turned to stone right so it's It's like when you put the magnet up to your magnetic nails your um Nail polish, <laughs> and then you put it under yeah, the UV an, lamp and an, you cure it. Yes. And you can put another layer and you can put the magnet in a different direction and then you cure it. Yeah, like exactly. These have so all the, these, yeah. Yes. Thank you. So essentially, yes. Sediments. I'm explaining. Yes. Thank you. Um, no, I need that. Um, so the the particle you can you can look in sediment cores and get approximate dates for when these flips happened. Okay, and so so it's the moment it's like this from here to here. There's a shift, therefore it correlates with a flip. Yeah, or and when I say flip, um, so the magnetic field on Earth can weaken and become unstable, right? And not totally flip, but. Sometimes it does, and that's when all the Neanderthals died. Flip. Yeah, we can include that article that I wrote. <laughs> okay, so that's approaching a definition of paleomagnetism. Um, yeah, so, that it's, wasn't so a- it's using that phenomenon to 
understand, first of all, how long ago those various flips happened. Mm-hmm. Using, you can correlate it with other geologic data. Okay. Um, and then, you know, using that to, to date sediments. Okay. Um, so burial dating is a, a technique that relies on We've talked about this before, and I think it exploded your brain. Yeah. But um, quartz crystals, because of their structure, um, they trap electrons in. They have a very regular kind of crystalline matrix, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so they can uh, trap electrons in sort of a fixed pattern. When quartz is exposed to sunlight, it excites those electrons. Um, and it because just because it's transferring energy, right? Heat and light energy. So it excites those electrons and basically jiggles them out of alignment in the quartz. When quartz crystals in sediment are buried, they're not exposed to sunlight. Like after a point, I yeah. I don't know how, how thin or thick the layer of sediment needs right. to be before it's not getting through anymore. But after a certain it's point... It's also in a cave. That's so a I think it's yeah. like the deposition... The only time I've been present for OSL sampling was it was a cave, but partially a rock shelter. So we had to do it at like two okay. in the morning. It's very cold. But yeah, you have to um, get your sediment samples and put them in a light proof bag or mm-hmm. container. And then mm-hmm. you send them to a lab where the lab bombards the uh, sample with energy and measures how much energy is released from mm-hmm. that quartz and that re- energy release corresponds to the amount of time it has been right. since those quartz crystals last saw sunlight. It's like shaking an Etch-a-Sketch and all of that stored energy goes away. Yeah. Um, wiping it clear. But as, yes, as the quartz crystals are buried over time, they gradually accumulate energy simply because because of radiation yeah great i remember why i didn't remember it because you said crystalline and i started hearing the new york <laughs> song in my head and i couldn't hear anything else and i think that's what happened last did you get it this time i think i'm just gonna need to like put the cough button over you saying crystalline structure and be like a structure <laughs> and then i'll get there but um what they found over the course of these 1.8 million years um they found use of oldowan tools as far back as the beginning of the deposits at 1.8 million years ago Uh, a transition to more complex hand axes over a million years ago Mm -hmm. um, and the first deliberate use of fire around a million years ago Mm -hmm. Um, so these developments should be contextualized within the same statements of the panga yasaidi team you know progress isn't linear and there aren't necessarily revolutions in technology or social organization. We've talked about this before. We talked about it recently with how, um, like is civilization. It like, do we think of that as a goal or is that it? Well, well, no, like more recently we talked about, is that like a meaningful way to think about it and how so much of it came from, um, Vera Gordon Child's Mm. idea of what happened in history and sort of popularizing, like doing science communication, but science and communication that was informed by his own Marxist ideology and belief that things only happen in revolutions. It's still incredible to think of being able to witness that much time captured in about eight feet of cave dirt. Like that is... I think my apartment accumulates sediment faster than... I don't know. Maybe they didn't have three incredibly shetty pets yeah but i don't know maybe we'll we'll never know never know or will we so now that we've hit the game over point of this script (laughs) let's begin our ascent out of the episode with a few examples of portals to the underworld from around the world Mm. first up we head to what's today mexico where we find tons of archaeological evidence for engagement with the underworld over the millennia Mm On the Yucatan Peninsula, in the mostly submerged cave systems around Quintana Roo, ancient skeletal skeletal remains skeletal, <laughs> skeletal remains of people have been found over the years by people who, due to some madness, like cave diving. Two things um, that tastes great together. They've also been finding more of them as uh, AMLO's pet project, El Tren Maya, is being built. This big, it's a big railroad project, big infrastructure project that. Um, among other things, seems to be like a like a like a pipeline for like sexy beach influencers to like come Why? stimulate the economies elsewhere. All right. 
The finger thing means the money. I am. I um, at least 10 individuals entered the caves during a period when they were dry, which would have been uh, between 13-ish and 8-ish thousand years ago, during a period where um, sea levels were lower. Um, oh, I so have some questions. The table was lower. Let's see if you answer them in um, the following paragraphs before I <laughs> jump in. Five years in, <laughs> we're figuring out the... <laughs> the way I do surprise emphasis. In the absence of any associated objects or context, archaeologists struggled to find theories for what led them in there. Did the abyss call them? I mean, probably. That almost definitely is what happened. But yeah. in addition to that, another idea was put forward in 2020 when an article in Science Advances announced the discovery of subterranean ochre mines in three mm. cave systems estimated to have been in use for around 2,000 years between 10 and 12,000 years ago. This was a huge deal since despite the fact that ochre usage is well attested across a wide geographic range uh, in and beyond this area, no one knew where they got it from mm -hmm. in the Paleo-Indian period until this site was identified. That's cool. Um, so quoting, it's going to get cooler, Anna. And this is part of why the script, the, the, this document is so long is because I put in some very great photos. Um, <laughs> I look forward to scrolling it's not, to them. It's not just a like photo of a welded shut hole. <laughs> it's just like, oh, a manhole cover. Um, so quoting the abstract. Quote. Oh, Do you me. want to read it? Yep. You can read it. Oh, I thought you were telling me that. Okay. No, I thought I was going to too, but then I was like, oh, maybe Anna can read it. Quote, the cave passages exhibit preserved evidence for ochre extraction pits, speleothem digging tools, shattered and piled flowstone debris, cairn navigational markers, <gasps> and <laughs> it was okay to build them then, 13,000 oh, years Well, you're going to see one in a second. Yeah. Continue the quote. And hearths yielding charcoal from highly resinous wood species. The sophistication and extent of the activities demonstrate a readiness to venture into the dark zones of the cave to prospect and collect what was evidently a highly valued mineral resource. And so here, um, I'll, uh, you'll, anyone who wants can look at the article, the Science Advances article, to see these really high quality images um, and where they have pointed out things. So you see, it just, it like, a, it, this looks like something that would be recreated in a museum. It does. Display. It looks, it looks like, like a it's like an illustrative of. example yeah. of like, here's all these. And so there's a uh, mine spoil, there's broken flowstone. So like the, the smooth rock. So you can see the, the flowstone and the ochre there in the flowstone, but you can also see post mining speleothems. Mine would be more of a speleo her, but um, you have these um, like these deposits, these like calcium deposits where the cave kept forming yeah. after they mined it. So you see sort of that like that's what they have in terms of sediment is like more cave because <laughs> it's that old, Anna. Wow. Um, and so you see like overturned stalagmites. So you see where like they like knocked it out of the way and moved it over. Um, and then you see um, these stone marker cairns and these <laughs> the would be navigational cairns. It looks like a um, looks like a traffic cone <laughs> that fell over. It, do it does. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so the and then there's a a cairn with an iron stain speleothem so like somebody set this up so um indeed it's okay to do this if you are doing legitimate navigational aids mm -hmm. um and so this is something that w it, this is part of why it would have been used for so long is they knew how to get back to it um and so some of like these so you know the abyss called and said gosh you got ochre down here yeah um, and so this is, uh, this is huge. Like this was a, a huge, like, oh, yeah, that's we found incredible. where they got it from. Yeah. Um, and so that's a very physical engagement with the underworld. Mm. Um, but let's shift gears to something a bit more metaphysical. Oh boy. The same karstic limestone geology that yields cave systems in the Yucatan, like, like what we just, what yep. we just talked about also create sinkholes that open up to subterranean water sources below. I do. I love a good uh, so, 
Apart from sites of sexy travel influencer selfies, these pits, called cenotes, have been used by Maya communities for millennia as freshwater sources. Uh, so the word cenote comes from the Yuc- a, a Yucatec Maya term that means um, like an access point to groundwater. Mm. Uh, so okay. that's what they are. Um, and so they've also been the site of ritual offerings or sacrifices and are considered to be an entry point to the underworld, which like they literally are. Yeah. Like, yes. It's a like, whole It is the down. underworld. Yes. And so, you know, you have, that's how you case it's in subterranean rivers, like all of these things that are very um, spooky to think about to me. I don't know. Maybe other people are totally cool. With I think it would really freak me out to be in one of those spaces, but I would love to see footage uh, like i got super someone. freaked out uh when there was a sinkhole uh in my street and i could see cobblestone and then like the sewer and i was just like i'm not gonna cross here anymore um and then it was just like me and a bunch of neighbors just being is that like, where your street light Dang. went you just went to the underworld no, no that's the other corner <laughs> <laughs> streets having so some... no. <laughs> oh. wow man mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> So um, one site that's been interpreted this way as an entry point to the underworld was found by divers 25 feet or 4.6 meters below the surface of the water in 2021. Um, they found there. Uh, this was part of the uh, the Ultran Maya, <laughs> of, of like Ultran Maya, like, like CRM work, basically, because uh, they're just like blasting through. the. Yeah, so they the knew they Yucatan. were going to destroy a cenote. So they were like, have a look down there. You know, that's a really straightforward way to put it. Um, yep. Okay. <laughs> so they were doing they were doing the kind of like pre-construction CRM work yeah, that yeah. a lot of a lot of folks who listen to us do. Yeah. That that kind of like we gotta look into the like the impacts. And so if they found something impactful like this, um, which I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm really wading into like murky. Um, So there they found a heavy canoe, like the the fact that it's very heavy and like had a heavy prow is important because they it seems that it maybe most likely was not seaworthy or river worthy. Like it would have been too hard to navigate. Made made to Um, sink? No, not made to sink. Just just not made. Not it it was not it was like more of a ceremonial piece than like a like a we're getting out there piece. Like it wasn't no, like, I understand and the now I'm done part. with my canoe. Let me give it to you. It's just like, I'm putting this votive canoe in. Like it's, So it's thought that it, it didn't have a function. It had yes. a form. Um, so uh, 38 skeletal remains, including those from an armadillo. Well, not, no. Those from armadillos, dog, turkey, eagle, and the metatarsal bone of a presumed woman's foot. Um, I don't know if there was any more of the foot or the rest of the foot owner involved in that. Uh, and so carbon, and so, you know, intentionally placed there perhaps as an offering, but carbon dating of the canoe suggests that it dates to the 16th century CE. Oh. Uh, so a century later from that, um, in the 17th century, <laughs> a Spanish Catholic historian, Francisco de Burgoa, uh, wrote about a city called Mitla in the Oaxaca Valley, a thousand miles away from the cenotes of the Yucatan. Hmm. There, de Bergoa writes, the indigenous Zapotec community had built, quote, a vast subterranean temple consisting of four inter- interconnected chambers containing the tombs of the high priests and the kings of Teozapotlan. From the last subterranean chamber, a stone door led into a deep cavern extending 30 leagues below ground. Oh no, how much is a league? This cavern was intersected by other passages like streets, its roof supported by pillars. End quote. This is some cool video game design stuff. Mitla opened up into the underworld itself, which makes sense when you consider the fact that Mitla derives from the Nahuatl world, Nahuatl word, Michlan, the name of the underworld in Aztec mythology. Hmm. I think this comes up in a video game because, again, this was something that I had difficulty actually researching. Oh, so I no. had to do all my Google search terms yeah. with like quotes followed by minus game. Um, so when Spanish colonizers arrived, um, they closed up the tunnels, which like 
I don't see where they're coming from in a lot of the cases, but in a way, like, oh, that opens up straight to the underworld. I could, I can kind of see where they were like, oh, no, I'm closing that up. They're like, don't want that. Um, but, but they took like it a step further. vast underground system, but they're just like, I'm going to put a little cork on top. I, I, no, I just, I'd be like, none of my business. <laughs> and they went a little bit further. They're like, and none of yours either. And then they put a church on top of it. And there still is a church there. It's God's business now. Um, <laughs> let him handle it. The capital H. Um, so cutting off access to Leoba, the Zapotec name for the site, mm. which is translated to place of rest. Um, so not to make light of genocide, but they they came in and they were just like, nah, and put a church. This is according to this Catholic historian who I don't actually believe ever went to Mitla and was just like, I heard about this. This happened. So is this a, like, was this propaganda? Being a real about it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Uh, but earlier this year, 2023, a multi-institutional team behind Project Leoba used ground-penetrating radar, electrical resistivity tomography, and seismic noise tomography. So they did, they, 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 like, threw a bunch of energy at it and saw what bounced back. <laughs> Um, and they found they vibrated the ground. Yeah. They found, quote, a large void mm-hmm. end quote, which again, just like mm-mm, 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 uh, connected to, quote, a significant geophysical anomaly, end quote, um, and two passages entering the main void five to eight meters underground. So. Pretty promising stuff there. So there is something there. So this, so Leoba existed and is still there under a church, like, which I think is, um, very, like, very compelling, very interesting, very unsurprising that there would be, you know, some like indigenously built, like monumental architecture, um, I also think that this is uh, a premise and a half for an atmospheric horror film. So they were scheduled to return to the team, not the ghosts, uh, were scheduled to (laughs) return to Mila in September of this year. So perhaps we'll, I think, to like excavate. Uh, So perhaps we will hear an update soon. Um, But now for our program's penultimate part, the plutonium, Uh, not the radioactive element, the gate to hell. In the Roman world. So Pluto oh, makes sense. was the god of the underworld. So the place where you can reach him was eponymously, eponymously called the Plutonium. Famous among Plutonia, as there were several, uh, was the one at Hierapolis in what's today Turkey. The Greek historian Strabo visited Hierapolis on the, around the turn of the common era and described priests leading healthy bulls into the Plutonium, which was an arena uh, where they went, they went through a little gate into an arena that was surrounded by raised seating for spectators, because they're Romans, <laughs> uh, with a temple up on top as a sacrificial offering. This was mm. this this was a um, this was a temple that had like spectator seating. Um, so because it was pretty cool to them, what happened? Um, the bulls would, they lead the bulls in and the bulls would miraculously drop dead. And then the priests would walk out unharmed. Uh, so Strabo assumed the priests were immune to death in the arena because they were castrated, which sure. (laughs) Another theory, however, is linked to the fact that the plutonium at Hierapolis is positioned directly above a fissure in the earth that constantly emits volcanic carbon dioxide. I saw it described as what? Is there an Oracle there ever? No, no, we'll find out why there wasn't an Oracle there Mm. in the next sentence. Um, (laughs) A team of researchers monitored the CO2 levels in the arena over time and found that during higher temperatures, during the higher temperatures of daytime, the gas dissipates. Mm -hmm. Um, At night, the gas pours out through the fissure to produce a lake of sorts that rests under the normal air because normal air is lighter than CO2, which is why you are at a higher risk of carbon dioxide poisoning in a basement 
or mm-hmm. like on the ground. Um, and they found that it is particularly deadly. Um, and at dawn, when the carbon dioxide concentration 40 centimeters above the arena floor reaches 35%, which is enough to asphyxiate and kill animals or even people within a few minutes. So 40 mm-hmm. centimeters is about a foot and a half. And so this still... It's just about where, where the noses are. And so this is this still kills birds. So there will be yeah. birds that like will fly into this 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 area, like they'll fly in and land, and then they like die. Um, so it is mm-hmm. still. So this is why there isn't an oracle there because oracle, like, well, the oracle, as we learned last time, is like a place, not so much the person, but you could install like a pythia or whatever at your oracle <laughs> um, because those are different gases. Those are ah. gases that do cause like hypoxia and stuff, but in a cool way uh, <laughs> where it works more like nitrous than it yeah. does. Like you get loopy instead of getting dead. D- yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. yeah. So for compare, so that's 35% uh, up at about a foot and a half off the ground. Um, and, and it decreases, as like pretty quickly as you go up above mm-hmm. that. But for comparison, levels higher than 10% can cause serious harm or death in humans. So always make sure you have proper <laughs> ventilation when you use any kind of combustion heater or cooking equipment. Um, yep. That's like, and if like you are running a, and similarly, if you are running a car to keep yourself warm, um, say you get like stuck in like a snowbank or something, those sorts of things like that can be extremely dangerous if you don't use ventilation. Yeah, um, a window. Yeah. So like this is. PSA from the dirt. This is, yeah, this, this is actually like very important, very serious stuff. Um, but back at the plutonium, uh, sacrifices took place only in the evening or early morning when the carbon dioxide lake was deepest so even it's not visible i saw that it like it looks like a mist like it looks like fog but i don't oh i don't know if if it looks like that it's creepy but it also that also looks kind of like fog that would like rise up like dew mount like dew evaporates like you could have that Mm -hmm. so it just sort of looks kind of misty but um Even when at its deadliest, the carbon dioxide concentration drops rapidly the further one rises from the ground. So an adult human walking upright, uh, whether they have their external genitalia or not, uh, would remain safe for the duration of the sacrifice. But an animal walking in with its head lowered to the ground would not. Yeah. Um, So, well, I guess, was it Strabo? Yeah. Like took a look and like didn't necessarily think about pure air versus yeah but still that's sort of like obviously like the, the, the thing here is the bull still got him like, yeah. that's, <laughs> like that's the main difference don't. that must be yeah. it so um whether or not the priest had a sense of what was going on there regardless of how they might have described the phenomenon or what to what power they attributed it because they could have been like oh no it's that gas but mm-hmm. it's pluto like it like he's emitting he's it the one yeah, to claim them as sacrifice and accept sure. them like sure but yeah. it remains a mystery um as oil lamps have been recovered from the grounds which suggests they didn't avoid it altogether at night when it was deadliest um so perhaps hmm. in time evidence for similar phenomena will be found at other plutonia um like where, where and, and so finally and they they didn't find like skeletons holding the lamps so it was i feel like, like they would yeah they i feel like they would have taken them away <laughs> yeah, <laughs> had yeah. that happened be like oh no Oops. gaius oh uh marcus come come help me out finally we would be remiss if we didn't give a nod to the hellmouth of early medieval england mm-hmm. so we're we're shifting a little bit from like archaeology to sort of like material culture and looking at some sort of art historical examples. Uh, so the mo- motif of a hell mouth appears in art objects in which the entrance to hell is via the mouth of a big beastie like Anna on my zoom screen right now. Ah. So hell itself is uh, an old English word. Meaning yeah, I, think, I think it's via Norse hell. Yeah. Um, an article published in 1942 by art historian Meyer Shapiro reads, 
As the instrument of animal veracity, the jaw is a constant theme (laughs) in medieval art and the expression of overwhelming force. The beast head with open jaws is often isolated on archivolts, corbels, capitals, initials, and borders in early medieval art, especially in England. On the portal of the Church of Kilpeck, the arch is decorated with a succession of beasts and beast heads, some of them devouring the parts of their victims. The animal jaw is the most powerful sign of violence and destructiveness. The representation of hell as the open jaws of a monster is a typical English motive. Motif? Motif? Motive. Most of the examples (laughs) before the 12th century are English works. So, um, and then, so this is something, this is where I sent that like really like weirdly salty quote from Wikipedia. That was really fun. Um, but so I found, I like did a deep dive and actually found these objects, which I do think maybe our guy has a typo in his footnote. And so it made it much harder to find, but I did find it. Um, so he says, you get the sleuth award in his footnote. The oldest example I know is the ivory carving of uh, of circa 800 in the Victoria and Albert Museum. Um, and the Anglo-Saxon taste for the hell mouth was perhaps influenced by the northern pagan myth of the crack of doom and the battle with the wolf who devoured Odin. The wolf's great jaws are broken by Odin's son, Virar, who is later yeah. identified with Christ. Uh, the latter scene is illustrated on the Gosforth cross around 900, um, according to some other man. Um, so that example I found, and it is a, it is visible in the Victoria and Albert Museum's archives, uh, like their collections online. And so in it, this is a, a scene of the Last Judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you see a like you see Christ rising and absolutely serving. He's the one going up. He's the one who went, uh. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's really, he's, uh, he knows his angles. Yeah. And then down here in the lower right corner, you see the hell mouth and you see some guy (laughs) just like sticking his head in and, and like group of people behind him being like, oh no. Um, and then the. It looks like, the head looks like, uh, the little guys from. Gelfins, the little guys from Dark Crystal. <laughs> Gelflings. You're Gelf not yeah, not whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's the earliest example there, and it's just going, oh. Um, so ah. another example of this can be found in the harrowing of hell section of an English 11th century Psalter, which is um the other thing that he refers to that the Shapiro refers to. And I found that one. Um, and so the harrowing of hell is, 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 a, is a Psalter. Is that, is it a prayer book? Okay. So a Psalter. Yeah. Kind of. Um, yeah, it is a Psalter. Yeah. It's a Psalter. Um, and so it's a book containing the Psalms and other liturgical <laughs> bits of information at like the, like the liturgical calendar and like fun facts about the saints, I guess, um, and lots of images. And so it was often used to teach people to read. And so in this sort of late Anglo-Saxon, early medieval period, there between like, you know, 900, like like 800 and 1066 or so, like that this was like the book that people owned. If you were going to own a book, you probably owned this book or a version of a Psalter. Um, and so the harrowing of hell is an episode that I never learned about because I was Protestant. Um, and so it is what happened during between the crucifixion and the resurrection. So like Christ Jesus, down and Jesus dips for three days and then he yeah. comes back. Um, and what um, in sort of Catholic and, um, Orthodox traditions um, is is taught, I think, like sort of as canon. I don't know if it's uh, it must it must not be too apocryphal if there's this much art about it. Christ goes to hell and um, does a prison break of like the noble Old Testament types. Um, so I think he like gets Adam and Eve and you know some patriarchs and stuff, and he's like, get on out of here. And so um, 
so harrowing of hell, both of those words are old English words. And so hell, hell, um, and then harrow um, comes from the old English word harrian, uh, which means to plunder. And it's possibly, it possibly comes through from, uh, is related to the old Norse word herfy, which means harvest. And so it's this idea of reaping. Um, but yeah. also with herfy, um, herfy, herfy's a funny word, right? It sounds funny. Herfy sounds funny. Kind of. Well, Kinda. okay. So herfy is also a very, very popular fast food restaurant in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> and like, so the first letter of herfy is like a little as a ha like a soft ha and so it's a little like curly looking h and so they do it so it looks like a little bun like a little hamburger bun but i just i'm just so i don't know what it means have you ever been there and was the experience harrowing i think it depends what location i might go to um Mm. because the menu looks like it like i think if i had like the super chili chicken with cheese it could be harrowing um but i (laughs) But it's it's just like a you could just get like you know your chicken burgers and stuff and they got like herfy kids meals and I just think that herfy is a funny word herfy herfy and you it just is. drive by and you're just like herfy <laughs> just, it does sound I mean, like a noise a muppet makes it sounds herfy. like a, like a, a noise that like a cartoon burger would make like a like a muppet burger like herfy um, anyway we're herfy a harrow by the way a, a harrow is also an implement it's a a farming tool. Yeah. So, that, which that, would be used for herfing. Yeah. Like that's, that you um, herf with the, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So this is, so this is a page from the Psalter. Um, and uh-huh. it was one of the, um, it was, it was one of like the foundational, um, objects of the British museum. Like the, the first, like, oh. and they didn't really have to steal this one. No, it was theirs. Yeah. Um, some baronet or something had it. They got a really good chain of custody on this one. So this is a page. This is just like a, this is one of the folios. This is the 14th folio. And it's, um, so it's a the picture. The illustration style is, is it, I mean, it's a weird picture, but it's very charming. Yeah. And so in it, uh, we see Abraham Lincoln in orange and blue outlined <laughs> robes. Yeah. Bending over at, with like, a like really flexible thoracic spine. I, and so. A lot of medieval illustrations just, of people bending over they're just weirdly curved yeah it i think Maybe this is also how scoliosis. i look when people walk by me when i'm like at the office yeah i'm just like a total like spreadsheet goblin um but he's bending over <laughs> and reaching into the mouth of a giant beast to scoop up people reaching their arms up to him and above the image is written you can't really see it very well but it is there um also this this was yeah. damaged by fire sometime in the last thousand years um, so it's a little smooked around the edges but around the Im- above the image is written christus infernum despoliat uh, christ is robbing hell um so this is the so they learned to read the sort of the same way i learned to read latin by reading like the acts of violence and so <laughs> um so this is that idea that it, it sort of appeals to a um anglo-saxon sentiment of like it's a successful military raid on hell that like christ as warrior like christ as like military leader you know you'd like turn the other cheek but like when it's but time also- to turn back you know, it's like you they're a sword in your They're hands. very much in like table flipping Jesus and not <laughs> turning the other cheek Jesus. This is like cursing a tree Jesus. I'm just gonna keep naming times at Jesus. Like the table flipping was was the bank was in the temple it? because of the money My changers. Temple should be a house of prayer. You have yep. the den of thieves. <laughs> um, yeah. So with that, we return to where we started in hell. <laughs> Hey. So despite arriving there, I hope I have continued to live up to my goal of minimal bummers this season. Thank you for your patience. Uh, things have been kind of tough for me personally lately. Um, uh, so moment of realness. I am grateful that all of you continue to give me the chance to learn and write and talk about things that make me feel human and connected to other humans and something bigger than myself. Even if yeah, it's so hell keep- sometimes. <laughs> even if it is hell uh 
we're, we're right there with you. Also, keep sending in your wonderful social media comments oh, and gosh. reviews and everything, and I will continue to screenshot the nice ones and send yeah. them to Amber. Not that there have been any not Oh, good. Because nice oh, that, that's what will keep me from sleeping tonight. No, because uh, no, no, I already no. worked through all the stuff that kept me up till three last night. So oh, um, great. Well, progress. but now I can think about comments unsh- on screenshotted. No, no, no. There haven't been. Oh, great. Well, that's truly nice. great. Um, I have only I've I've sent you what I've seen and what I've seen has been. Oh, just they've wonderful. been so kind. So thank you, everyone. Yeah. And, and it's also really nice to get that. It was really nice to see mo- uh, things like that and comments like that. And also the comment that they left at my joke, uh, but but just sort of like heartfelt, <laughs> like heartfelt notes of of people sort of reflecting how I feel about the show back at yeah. us, and so it's really nice to know that um, this like we're is vibing like, with our audience. <laughs> yeah. Right? Did I use? Did I say that right? I don't know. Bad. <laughs> can I tell? You, can I share a tiny work story? Yeah, gladly. I'm it, done with um, the script. And again, you're the one editing it. So yeah, that's fine. I could talk to no, you all day. I, um, I don't have to edit it. We get, no, I really have to pee. So we're going to have to wrap up soon. But <laughs> we get chartable, uh, you know, digests for all of our shows, oh, yeah. which means that we see like the most recent reviews. And and for the most part, they are from kids. So often it's just like 16 lines of emojis. But we got one once for a couple of weeks ago for Smash Boom Best. And it was just, bro, this podcast is slay. Nail painting emoji. <laughs> oh, I'm glad to know that Carly Kloss listens. <laughs> just sort of, are we cool? <laughs> are they cool? <laughs> oh, I wow. Don't know. <laughs> oh, oh, that's nice. The kids think that we're slay. <laughs> I hope that was a kid. I hope that was a kid. <laughs> Oh, oh well you know listeners boy. i think you are slay oh i think you're slay too um and amber thank you for yet again making a really fun episode that was not at all harrowing thanks mm-hmm. all right uh love you mina thank you for listening take care of yeah. yourselves please crack a window and like get like a, like roll it down don't get a get a carbon dioxide uh monitor yeah you mean monoxide well both you should probably get both if you have a basement get a radon detector um please be careful get all the Um, detectors and you have a right to it in most jurisdictions if you are a tenant hope to see you hope to to talk at you soon love you uh bye bye (laughs) 